Hello and welcome to the Rondo Podcast. I'm Nicola McCarthy talking all things football both on and off the pitch. Well, with just days to go until the start of the Women's World Cup in France, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined on this Rondo Podcast by Rich Laverty, a freelance women's football writer. Rich, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. And you are days away from going to France yourself? Yeah, go on Thursday. So uh, it's getting it's getting busy now. Um, I can't believe it's only a few days away, to be honest. it's um, Yeah, the World Cup just seems to be creeping up at the moment. It absolutely does. I know I can't believe it's here. There's been so much talk around it and, you know, hype leading up to it. So it'll be good, I'm sure, to get out there and, and just enjoy it. Um, Rich, first of all, Phil Neville has said that this could be a watershed moment for the women's game. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I've been asked this quite a bit, and we probably say this every World Cup, because the game is growing so quickly. We certainly said it four years ago. Um, We're saying it now, and we'll probably say it in four years again. Because not just in England, but a lot of federations now are taking women's football more seriously. The clubs are therefore taking it more seriously. More money's being invested, more time, more effort. So it could be, yeah. I mean, in terms of a watershed moment, it will be for, for for some countries, obviously, depending on how well they do. It will only be a watershed moment for England if, if we go far, and at least if we go as far as we did um, in 2015. Obviously, if we go out in the second round or something, it's not going to be a... Well, it might be a watershed moment, but for different reasons. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, overall, you know, there are so many teams now. I think we used to go to Women's World Cups and think... It was probably the USA, Germany, maybe one or two others. Now there's eight, nine, ten teams out there that can probably win it. So yeah, it is a watershed moment in that respect, um, definitely, and I think it will keep growing. Rich, just tell us a little bit about how you got involved in covering the women's game. And, of course, this is a very busy time of year for you. How are you feeling about heading out there? Yes, exciting. Um, in terms of how I got involved, I actually posted it on Twitter yesterday. Actually, I found my first article that I wrote on um, women's football, and I can't believe how long ago it was, but it was a piece on Leeds United, actually, just after they'd relaunched, um, when the team didn't go for a WSL licence. I went up there and did some work during my time at university in Leeds, so that's how I first got involved, and then there was many coincidences and fates and all all sorts from, from then on in, in terms of how I kind of kept getting pulled back towards women's football. I never thought I'd cover a World Cup. You know, I never thought I'd go on covering. I just didn't think the interest was there in terms of mm-hmm. media, that the, the money was there. Um, so it's incredibly exciting. It's it's nerve-wracking, as it always is. You know, it's the third summer in a row now I've done a, a women's football tournament. Um, and you don't quite get used to it. You know, it, it's such a, a feeling of anticipation. You know, we don't know what's going to happen over the next three or four weeks. We've been talking about it for six months now since the draw was made. And, you know, it it always feels like when it's over, it, it happens so quickly. Um, so, yeah, it's very exciting. I'm looking forward to it. And I just hope it's a, a good tournament and we've got a lot of good things to talk about. 
I hope so. Rich, a lot has happened in the four years since the last tournament in Canada in 2015. Um, so many changes in the game and we'll, we'll delve into that a little bit more. But let's start with Group D where we have the incredible prospect, of course, of England against Scotland. I know you'll be out there following every kick of the ball England make. Uh, England and Scotland in the same group, of course. Group D play each other in the opening game of the group. Um, England got to the semi-finals in 2015, of course, in Scotland's first ever World Cup. I mean, what an occasion this is going to be. Oh, it's going to be a massive occasion. I mean, it's... I, I thought it might dampen it a little bit, the fact that the two teams played each other two years ago in the opening Euros game. So you kind of wonder whether it would have lost that bit of novelty or something, but it hasn't really. Um, I think actually the fact they played each other has added a bit more to it because England won 6-0. Scotland don't want that to happen again. It won't happen again. They're a very different team now. They've got key players back that missed that tournament. Some of the younger players have really come on and they've got a new coach as well. So, And it's on a bigger stage. You know, it's the World Cup. It's, yeah. it's on BBC. It's going to be massive um, and it'll be a really competitive match. And I think it's an absolutely fantastic way to start things off. Absolutely. And you mentioned that 6-0 when England beat Scotland 6-0 in the Euros in 2017. Like you just said, Scotland are a different side. England are a different side. Let's start with England. You followed them closely through qualifying, of course. Is this the best England squad you've seen to date? Mm, tough one. Um, it's so difficult because like, I think as I was first getting involved was just when players like Kelly Smith, players like Rachel Yankee were kind of being phased out or were just sort of coming towards the end of their careers. And I think if we'd have had a full-time, you know, full-time training Kelly Smith and full-time training Rachel Yankee, we'd have been quite a prospect. I don't think we've produced, certainly not Kelly, we've ne we've never produced a player um, like Kelly since. And I'm not sure whether we ever will because Kelly was just so good. Um, they are the best team in terms of the, the extra fitness they've got, the extra physicality the the mental side of things you know just that comes from training every day now like they have for the last four years and I think it shows with the players that have gone off to I think the last World Cup every player was playing in England um and now you've got obviously Tony's in Barcelona Lucy is in Lyon Nikita will be joining her there we've got players in the US um it's it's hard to tell where they are from four years ago, really. I mean, the squad has changed quite a bit. We've got a lot of new young players in, which I think have added a lot. The manager has changed the style. So I think we look better. I think we look easier on the eye, certainly. Are we a more rounded team? I think it's very close. I think there's some pluses and some, some negatives um, in terms of where we were four years ago. But it's an exciting team. That's what I like. You know, we've got some very good technical players and, like I said, some very good youngsters. So... Whatever happens this time, I think the future is very bright, whatever happens this summer. Absolutely agree, Rich. OK, and turning then to Scotland, the first World Cup, like we said, we also said they were beaten 6-0 by England in 2017. Uh, Group D again, actually, that was. So uh, there's something about Group D. Uh, but different side now, though, under Shelley Kerr. Um, they also had some big injuries last time uh, out at the Euros. Kim Little wasn't involved, Jenny Beattie. It's a different side, and some of those key players uh, are back in. Yeah, it's just, they're very similar to what I just said to about England in terms of the nice mixture of experience and the young players they've got coming through. And Anna Sinyal, the, the previous manager, did a great job in terms of taking that team forward in the, the length of time she was there um, to their first major tournament two years ago. But Shelley's come in, progressed things, and 
they, they just won't be easy. You know, you, you look at the players and even aside from Kim Little, obviously, who has been, who has been a world-class player for many years, but you've got mm-hmm. obviously Jen Beattie at the back. Um, you've got Rachel Causey, who's playing out in the USA, but you've got Erin Cuthbert. You know, Erin Cuthbert, mm-hmm. fabulous young player. Caroline Weir, um, Claire Emsley, who's just gone off to play in the USA. Yeah, they're they're really exciting. Jane Ross up top, you know, has been a consistent scorer in the WSL. So you can't write them off. They're a little bit unlucky, Scotland, in a way, in terms of they probably lack a few players in certain areas and a bit of experience. But if they'd been put in another group, you'd certainly fancy them to, you know, go quite far. Whereas they've been put with England, who are a top four team in the world, and Japan, who have been in the last two finals. So maybe it will help them. You know, the pressure is somewhat off them. In a way, people have been looking at England and Japan. So, yeah, I mean, like if Scotland surprised, you know, Scotland got a result this weekend. I don't think many people would be surprised because they've got some very, very good players. Absolutely, absolutely agree. And I've enjoyed watching, you know, a lot of the players you mentioned, both for Scotland and England, during my time at Manchester City. And you know, there's some incredible talent there. Um, and I believe, Rich, four out of the six third best place will will qualify as well. Isn't that correct? Yeah, and, and that gives Scotland a good chance because yeah. in some groups you're probably going to be... Yeah, three points might be enough, you know, depending yeah. on how other groups go where things are a bit closer all round and teams drop more points, you might get one or two points. In our group, realistically, everyone should be beating Argentina um, yeah. because Argentina are a little bit off. So if you get those three points, you put yourself in a good position. Scotland might get more than that. You know, like I said, if they got a point against England or Japan, you wouldn't be surprised. So I think all three of those teams will go through. It's it's not definite, but I think they've all got a chance. But obviously, they've all got to beat Argentina first. Yeah. And you mentioned Argentina and Japan, the other two teams in that group. Argentina, not quite the, the, the footballing powerhouse that the men's team are, but Japan, uh, quite a scary prospect. We've seen them play some really nice football, quite tight uh, triangles, fast pace, sharp, you know, they're, they're dangerous. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think some people have decided England are going to win the group, but you've got a team there that were in the World Cup final four years ago, and four years before that, they won it. So you cannot discount a team that has been in the last two World Cup finals. And like you say, they play they play such a unique brand of football compared to any of the other teams. And I think defensively, they're quite frail. Um and they're quite susceptible to the counter-attack, which might suit England. Um, but, you know, they will pass you to death. And in Nice, where it's going to be hot, it that's going to be tough. You know, if Japan start to dictate things. And I think, actually, the two styles will make for a very exciting match. And I'm actually as excited. There's the rivalry, um, yeah. the England-Scotland match. But, well, I suppose there might be a bit of a rivalry to the Japan match, given what happened four years ago. But... I think on a footballing level, that would be a fantastic match. I think England-Scotland would be more of a grudge match mm-hmm. rather than a, possibly a, a fantastic spectacle. But I think England-Japan would be absolutely brilliant. Richard, been reading today your piece in The Times where you visited some of the, the players, the England players' families and those closest to them, and they were giving them words of encouragement and inspiration. It's a really lovely piece. What just tell us how that came about and a bit about that for anyone who hasn't read it. It happened quite quickly, really. Um, Molly Hudson, who works for The Times, got me involved a few weeks ago because I know quite a lot of the players' families and I had a lot of contacts for them. And yeah, we just started going around them, asking for messages and 
it's the kind of thing people want to be involved in, though. That's the good thing, you know. It wasn't yeah. like people were saying, oh, you know, I'm not sure about this. Um, I, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, we were just asking for these nice messages. So it was really good. Um, it got a bit stressful towards the end because there were three <laughs> or four that we were kind of waiting on in the last few days. There was actually one as of even yesterday that we didn't have. Um, right. Sweating, we went everywhere, you know, clubs, agents, it went right to the top of the FA. Um, they were brilliant in, in terms of helping us, to be fair. And, yeah, we got the final message yesterday morning. So, And then it went to print this morning. So, <laughs> Hold the front page, as they say. Uh, it's, it's, been, it's been quite chaotic. Hold the back page in this case. Yeah, it's been very rewarding, though. You know, the reaction's been great. Um, and it seems the players like it. And we kept it secret from the players as well, which was almost the hardest part. You know, when you go into their families... Um, and you've got to keep it secret from the players. Yes. Yeah, that's quite difficult, but yeah, it's been great, you know, and it looks great. And um, yeah, it's been a very rewarding project to be a part of. Um, okay, let's talk about the hosts, France. Um, what are you expecting from them? Obviously, they've got the home crowd uh, around them, which, as we know, it is massive when it comes to big tournaments. They've got some incredible players, a lot of. Uh, I think it's nine players coming from Lyon, of course, Champions League winners. Um, such a strong athletic squad. Are they potentially favourites going in, do you think? Oh, it's a tough one. Um, yeah, France are a strange one because they have this reputation um, on the big stage of, I guess, choking somewhat, you know, in both the men's and the women's side of the sport, you know, but actually I when I think they... the women have lost four, their last four... Yeah. quarterfinals in big tournaments. Yeah, it's a strange one. I mean, they, they actually do, you know, quite well in terms of when they play at home. Mm-hmm. You know, the men won it in 98. They won it last year. Um, so on home turf, they quite well. And I think they'll take a lot of heart, you know, from the Netherlands two years ago um, mm-hmm. at the Euros. You know, they were so inspired. And I, I think it's, it's time now for France because... The spine of that team, you know, Buhadi in goal, Wendy Renard, Amandine Henri, Eugenie Le Sommet, not only all fabulous players, but have so much winning experience because they play for mm-hmm. Lyon. So if you need players to drag some of the younger players through games, you know, it will be intense out there. You know, the, 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 the stadiums for the French games will be full. Um, yeah. and they create an atmosphere as well. So... I think they are one of the favourites. I, I, I fancy Germany as well. Quite, and you can never rule out the USA, of course. So it wouldn't surprise me if France won it. No, I think they've got everything in terms of the team, almost, that they need. They've got a few good youngsters as well. It's just going to be about can they handle the expectation. That's always what we say with the hosts. Um, yes, yes. And it'd be interesting to watch because we'll be in that position in two years' time. So Absolutely, and it is. But as you say, it brings such pressure and then it really comes down to, to the mentality and the mental strength, doesn't it? It does, yeah. You know, the football part of it, it sounds daft, but it, it's just 90 minutes. You know, those players are now, you know, England have been on camp for two weeks and they only go to France today. And if they're out there till the end, they'll be there for five weeks. Yeah. Um, so that's seven weeks. You know, you're almost on camp together for two whole months. Yeah. So you need a massive, you need the experience. You need the players who can deal with the pressure off the field um, as well as on the field. You know, I think as fans, Fans probably just see the 90 minutes, you know, they don't realise or don't think too much about the fact there's a whole lot more to it, you know, and that's why we have these discussions every time the squad's announced about who's in it and who isn't and, and whether it's based on form. And when it comes to a major tournament, it's it's so much more than that. It, it's not as simple 
as just throwing the best 23 players together um, and hoping you win a World Cup. So, yeah, the experience part of it and the, the mental the mental side is almost as important as the physical side, in my opinion. Absolutely. I think that applies to most um, most football games, big tournaments. I think it's becoming even more to the fore now with the expectations, with the amount of eyes on you. You know, it's such a massive part. But you mentioned some of those experienced, uh, if a little ageing, you know, French players of some air, Renard, Henri. I mean, you know, maybe they see this as, as their time or maybe indeed their last chance to win a World Cup. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I think... I think possibly most of them have one more in them, maybe. But it's the same in every team. You know, you look at the US, I mean, blimey, they've got, I think they've got something like eight, nine, ten players who are over 30. And they've got one more who turns 30 during the tournament. But that's the interesting sort of different view on it, because you've got Jill Ellis who's saying, you know, that the players coming in are, are important because of the experience. She's brought Ali Krieger back, who hasn't really been involved with the US for two years. And she's basically come out and said, I'm bringing her back for her experience. Yeah. Even though she's not been involved with the national team. You've got Carly Lloyd there. I think Carly's 36 now. But, you know, she dragged that team through the World Cup final four years ago. And those experiences are massive. I remember when I spoke to Jill Ellis for a piece, she told me about taking Abby Wambach to the World Cup four years ago. And Abby was very much at the end of her career. Mm-hmm. But she said to me, she would have taken Abby if she was on one leg. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Really, because of that experience that she had uh, of big games. So every team has it. You know, England have got we've got eight players going to their first tournament ever. And you know, you think about the fact we had a tournament two years ago for eight players to come into the squad is a big change. But you've also got eight players, I think, over the age of thirty as well. And you've got Jill Scott and Karen Carney who are going to their fourth World Cups. Mm-hmm. So th- th- there's a mixture in every team of players that have got, you know, maybe, yeah, the last chance saloon. But I think that's the same in any team. But for France particularly, it- it's just such a big opportunity. You know, I think I can imagine it's more special doing it on uh, on home soil in front of your own fans. So, yeah, it, it adds that bit of expectation. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Absolutely. We all remember France 98. Of course, well, at least I do anyway. Holders. You mentioned the USA. Holders, of course, uh, a lot of talk around them, Rich, in terms of maybe not being quite what they were four years ago. Um, they do continue to set the bar, though, for so many, don't they? I mean, the system they have, obviously, in the States, the college system, the Olympic development program and everything that goes around in terms of soccer or football as a whole, they continue to set the bar. They produce top quality athletes. Um, what, what are their chances here? Or do you agree with that, that they're maybe not quite the team that, that they were? I don't personally think they're the team that they were, but I'm not sure what team they were in the first place, because in 2015... They weren't great, you know. They they kind that is of true. they they worked their way through the tournament and and got better as it went on, and that, that culminated in the best performance they put in in the mm-hmm. final. Um, yeah, it's a strange one. It's that paradox now, like I've just said about the experience that they've got. But you think, you know, with with the system they have, as you said, the college system, they should probably be producing as many top young players as anybody, but actually their youth teams at under 20 level, at under 17 level are really struggling. They're really not doing well in tournaments. And I think it shows in the first team squad, you know, they've only, the, the squad hasn't changed a lot in four years. You know, you've still got, as I said, players like Ali Krieger, players like Carly Lloyd, um, Rose Lavelle's come in, Tiana Davidson's come in, Mal Pugh's come in, but beyond that, there's not been a huge amount of change. 
And it's really interesting because, like, you know, with the college system and the fact that they play, it's quite competitive football, you know, through college, that they should be producing the top youngsters. But I think the USA sort of go in it with that aura, and that's why the, the players maybe are there, you know. Teams still fear hearing those names, you know, Carly Lloyd, Ali Krieger, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino. It's just a bit like Germany in the men's game, isn't it? You, you kind of don't read too much into what they do for four years because you know they're going to turn up. Yep. And whatever they do, they'll go into tournament mode um, and they'll start beating teams. So Yeah, that's a really good analogy, actually, yeah. You can't underestimate them. They've got fantastic players. So you'd be silly to rule them out. I think defensively, they're not where they were four years ago. I don't think they'll win it. I think what's really interesting is if they win their group and France win their group, they will meet in the quarterfinals. There's no way of getting around that. So if they do win their group, one of them isn't even going to be in the final four. And France beat them quite convincingly in January. So that would be mega interesting, you know, to see the US go out before the semis. Or if France lose that game, if the game happens, you know, it brings back that question of, have they got that mentality to go all the way? So I think secretly we're all hoping that game happens because it'd be absolutely fascinating. Be fantastic. Be fantastic. You did mention their defence. I think they conceded two against England, two against Japan, three against Australia this mm. year. So as you say, they, they are leaking some goals, um, but we know what they're, what they're capable of up front with uh, the, the firepower that they have. Um, okay, that was USA. We talked about France. We briefly talked about Germany. Any other teams standing out for you? Oh, there's a lot. I mean, Canada, you know, nobody's really spoke about Canada. They're a top five team and they've conceded one goal. All yeah. season, uh, all 2019. Bit of a dark I mean, horse, perhaps. Yeah, Canada. they're not scoring a lot, but if you get through every World Cup game winning one nil, mm. you'll win the World Cup. You know, no, no one's going to remember how spectacular or unspectacular you were. Um, mm-hmm. Australia, you know, people are expecting a lot of, but again, defensively, they've not been very good recently, and I think they're still lacking something. The Netherlands had a really on and off two years, really, since winning the Euros, but they've kind of laid down a bit of a marker again recently. They were excellent against Australia at the weekend, and they've got, you could argue, probably the most frightening front four overall. Yeah. You've got Lika Martens, who's a fabulous player. You've got Shanice van der Sanden, who blows hot and cold, but her pace is unbelievable. You know, she can mm-hmm. tear any left-back apart. Daniel van der Donk has just had an unbelievable season, and she's playing behind... A striker who's had an even more unbelievable <laughs> season, Niedermaas. So yeah. you can't rule out the Dutch. There's so many, and that's what makes it exciting. You know, we're not sat here saying it'll be Germany or the US. We're sat here saying it could be really any of the top 10 ranked teams in the world. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to watching Netherlands. They could be a real dark horse, actually, I think. And you mentioned Miedema, among others. Um you know what a season she's had with Arsenal, of course, and uh, yeah, they could really, they could, they could cause some upsets. They beat England in the semi-finals of the Euros, didn't they? As Netherlands. Yeah, and it was quite convincing as well. So I mean, they had the home crowd behind them, so it'd be interesting now to see how the team has come on without that, without the atmosphere behind them, because I think it did help them um, yeah. at the Euros. They, they played great football, you know. Don't take anything away from them, but. It certainly spurred them on. Uh, be interesting to see how they do now on sort of more neutral ground. But yeah, like I said, you got a team that's got Van der Donk, Van der Sand and Martins and Miedemar as your attack and, and you are going to beat teams. What's interesting is they're in Canada's group and Canada yes. probably the most defensively solid team in the tournament. So that'll be a really interesting match. And it also adds interest to the fact the winner of that group plays the second place team 
in England's group, and you know, Japan or England, whoever you know, if one of those two teams comes second, and someone will have to, you know, they're not going to want to play Canada or the Netherlands in the second round because you could very easily be looking at an early exit. Okay, one team not far from anyone's lips when it comes to World Cups is Brazil. Um, again, the Brazil women's team not um as successful as the men's team have been uh, traditionally, but. Marta, of course, she turned 33 in February, possibly the biggest or one of the biggest, certainly, names in women's football, uh, potentially the most famous player in the world. Um, can she still shine on the, on the main stage at 33, Rich? Yeah, it's funny. Someone asked me this yesterday, actually. Um, oh, it's difficult. It's not just the fact that, you know, Marta herself is not having a fantastic time of it. You know, she's been playing for a club that has struggled now the last couple of years, but Brazil are struggling. They're, they're struggling so much. They haven't won um, in a year now. I mean, they've played... Every friendly they've played has been against a top team. Yeah. So, you know, they could have played lesser teams and probably won games, but you are going to have to beat top teams to win the World Cup, and Brazil are just not doing it at the moment. I'm, I'm not sure what's wrong. I don't profess to know the ins and outs of the Brazil setup, but you look at the team, you look at Marta, but Dabinha, who's at North Carolina Courage, and Ludmilla at Atletico, I watched her against Man City last year, and she tore them apart. You know, she was absolutely frightening up front. But, you know, you've got the experience of Formiga, obviously, who's going to a seventh World Cup at 41. Yeah, 41. That's unbelievable. But you also think, well, what does that say about Brazil's pathway? You know, the talent pathway coming through yes. that they still reliant on it. Don't get me wrong, Formiga is an unbelievable player and she's done so well to keep herself in that shape. But there were other players coming through, you know, you'd think, well, would she be there or would she be, you know, starting? Yes. So, yeah, I think there's clearly some issues with the Brazil team. and They're in a difficult group as well. They've got Australia, they've got an Italy team who have really come on in the last two years and they've got a Jamaica side that nobody's really talking about, but they play quite exciting football. I watched them against Scotland last yes. week and they were actually very very good and um, they've got a player up front Khadija Shaw who's one of the best most exciting young talents in the world so Brazil are probably yeah they're probably in the wrong group because they're not as good as Australia they could easily get beat by Italy and Jamaica will be looking at that as a potential scalp in the first game so you could even see Brazil not even getting through the group stage to be honest um, look they might turn up and turn it on but all the signs suggest that you know unfortunately this might be the last time we see Marta um, at a World Cup and it might be quite a brief brief trip unfortunately that's true and and I'm sure for Miga as well I'm not sure she'll, if she'll be up for an 8th World Cup at this yeah. stage <laughs> I watched her in the Champions League final two years ago when PSG played Lyon down in Cardiff yeah. went down to cover the game and she was 39 then and she played the 120 minutes uh, because it went to extra time she played the whole two hours she stepped up took a penalty scored it and I just thought <laughs> You know, how are you doing that? And two years later, and she's just signed a new contract with PSG. That's right. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. She's going to be at least 42. So, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. But, you know, fair play to her. It's awesome. It is. It is incredible. But as you say, speaks a lot to, to perhaps the development uh, system in Brazil. But listen, even just our conversation here, Rich, is just reflective of, you know, how much talent there is, you know, how much the games come on. You know, we're not talking about one or two teams here. We're talking about... And we've only just talked about it you know a handful you know it's it is a different time really isn't it I mean you've covered the game for a long time where do you think we're at at the moment oh it's definitely growing I mean just on the media side of it you know I remember four years ago there wasn't 
too much of it, even before the World Cup, because there was no expectation, really. We were going in off the back of a, a bad Euros, so yeah, this time it's just been crazy. You know, the, the media day we had two weeks ago, there was 130 journalists there, I think, whether it was written, broadcast, um, radio, whatever. It, it's growing massively, and, you know, the more success you get, the more that it will continue to grow. So it's exciting. It's really exciting times, and it's it's the fastest-moving sport in the world. I really think it is. So I always sit here and think, you know, where will we be in two years? Where will we be in four years? Where will we be in ten years? Because you can't believe how quick it's going. So it, it's exciting mm-hmm. times, and for those of us that are lucky enough to be involved in it, it's great. Yeah, so let's hope it continues. Okay, we've talked about teams. Um, Rich, what about standout players? Who are you most looking forward to seeing in this World Cup, both for England and beyond? Ooh, there's a lot. So many of the countries have got some fabulous young players, England included. I'm looking forward to seeing what Erin Cuthbert can do, just to see you know, what, what she does at a World Cup. France, Diani, up top on, on the right wing, plays for PSG. He's had a fantastic year. I think it'd be interesting to see how she does. Germany have got three or four really exciting young players. Um, Khadija Shaw for Jamaica, who I mentioned earlier. Let's see what she can do on the world stage. There's a lot of people talking about her. For England, I'm looking forward to watching Kira Walsh because I think she's the one youngster that will, will play regularly. But I think what's most interesting for me is the two standout strikers at the minute in the world, Sam Kerr and Vivian Miedema. Because four years ago, Kerr was part of the Australia squad, but she wasn't the player she is now. Yes, uh, all-time top goal scorer now, isn't she, in, in the US? Yeah, I mean, the goal that she scored since then has been unbelievable. And, and Miedemar as well, who went to the Euros, I think now for both of them, especially in the absence of Penile Harder and the absence of Ada Hegerberg, I think yep. everyone's going to be looking at those two as probably probably the two favourites for the Golden Boot as well. Um, and like I said, we haven't yet seen them properly at the level they are now on the top stage. So I think for me, seeing how those two do, two unbelievably fantastic young players, that's going to be probably the most exciting thing for me to see how those two get on. Now, you mentioned Ida Hegerberg. I have to ask you your, your thoughts on you know the Ballon d'Or winner, Champions League winner, world's best player, arguably not being um, part of the World Cup w- with Norway. I know... W- no one seems to be a hundred percent sure exactly, you know, fully what the reasons are. We know there's certain issues with the way football is run in Norway that she's not happy with. But what do you think, Rich? What do you? What's your take on it? Yeah, like I said, I don't confess to know the the absolute details of what has made Ada walk away. But I think you just have to have to respect it. You know, first and foremost, it's her decision. If she's not happy with how things are going. Um, and she feels the only way to, to try and help things is to take a stand. And I think you have to admire that. She's sacrificing an awful lot. You know, she could have walked into the team and, and gone to a World Cup um, this summer and she's not doing. And I'm sure that's hard. You know, I'm, I'm sure however she puts it, you know, she'd love to be there. But yeah, I remember someone saying during the week, you know, that football's such a short window. Your career's so short and you don't want to maybe look back and think, goodness me, I should have maybe taken those opportunities. But that's also hard when you're standing up for something you clearly believe in. Yeah, I mean, it's um, everyone's different, aren't they? Some people might look that's back it. and say, oh, you know what, I wish I'd, wish I'd not bothered. Or, But if you're a person of principle, you know, which, which Ada obviously is, then 
you have to say, you know, well done to her. Will it change anything? I don't know, because none of her teammates have really followed her in doing that. So whether one person, you know, even as influential as she is um, in terms of her reputation, whether it will change anything, I don't know. Whether she will come back, I don't know. Um, I hope she does. I hope we see her on the world stage again one day. It'd be a shame if we don't. It'd be a massive shame. But like I said, you know, it's her decision. Um, and you, you do have to fully respect the sacrifice she's making into to essentially do what she feels is right. Mm, absolutely. Um, Rich, just one thing I want to touch on with you, which I think is, is interesting, just in terms of after the World Cup, and you say every four years it builds, in terms of infrastructure and kind of bottling, I suppose, and making, you know, the best use of the all of the the enthusiasm that comes with the World Cup and the magic that it brings and young girls wanting to play and getting their shirts and everything. You know, how far do you think things have come in terms of that, of I suppose, how much more ready are we to capitalise on on all of that? I think um, there's always things you can work on and improve on. Um, But, you know, England and Scotland now both having their own kits, you know, their own unique kits to go out to to France in that have been tailored, you know, for them. They're not wearing the same kits as the men anymore. They've got their own designs. Um, you know, the stadiums are filling up. I think there was 18,000 at Hamden Park last week for the Scotland match. There was 20,000 in Brighton on Saturday. And, you know, I saw this morning with the billboards the Lionesses have done around the country, you know, one for yes. each player, I think. I think it's moving so quick and I think we are doing more. We can do, we can always do more. Things are definitely improving. I think even in Wales, you know, you look at Wales last year, how they got behind their team when they were yeah. playing. Um, you know, it was the best atmosphere I've been in, in women's football um, down at Newport. You know, the fans were fantastic. And I think, look, if you promote it right, which we don't always do, um, especially with the league, I think with England, it's a different matter. I think with the league, there's still more we can do, but, if you promote it right and you put it out there and you know you make people realise that this is a good sport, people are going to come. And look, things like, yeah, we've got the Barclays deal now um, with the league. BT this morning have just announced that they're the training partners now of not just the men's team, but the women's team as well. You know, And the BT logos is going to be all over the women's training kits. It's things like that that you know show how far we are moving forward and, and how serious now big companies, big organisations are taking women's football. And they're also looking at it and saying... This is now a business opportunity. This is a sport that's moving so quickly that it's now actually beneficial to us to get involved. Absolutely, it is. It's fantastic to see. And I'm sure we're going to see more of it um, after the World Cup. Rich, thank you. That has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I've loved talking to you. You've got me more excited now than I was before. So uh, I I really can't wait. And I'm sure you're going to have a fantastic time in France. And maybe we could catch up um, after that and get, get your debrief. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm hopefully I'll be out there for a while because I'm following England. I, <laughs> I hope so. I don't want to be back in two weeks. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, enjoy every moment, um, and uh, we will catch up after. Thank you so much, Rich. Cheers. No problem. Thank you.